Before we dig in today, I want to give an encouragement to speak to your mind. This 40-day blog thing, I'm not trying to beat it to death, but it's real in the sense of a continual daily remembering of who lives in us. And uh, again, if, it's, if you're not getting anything out of it, that's fine. I am, and I'm doing this for me because I know my discipline. It stinks when it comes to writing stuff or anything like that or... Because today is day 20. Can you believe it's halfway? It's nuts. That means Easter's in 20 more days. Just a heads up in case you didn't realize that. But in light of that, I want to remind you of one of the greatest lies so you don't believe the lie. So you can hear the truth from Scripture. And this is the issue of separation. Listen carefully from Romans. And I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from his love. Does that nothing mean there's a potential clause in there that says, well, except for this or that? Does it say, well, I can do something to make God separate himself from me? I'm that powerful. Is that what this is saying? No. Nothing, nothing can separate us from his love. Death can't. His life can't. The angels can't. They're not even that powerful. Imagine that. Or demons, it says. Demons can't. Nothing can separate us from his love. Our fears for today, although it can feel like your fears are separating you from God, but that's not a fact. It's a feeling. The truth is nothing does, not even your fears. What about your worries? Your worries about tomorrow, worries about today, worries about next week, in a year from now. Man, worry consumes our culture. Even that can't separate you from his love, but it can separate your process of thinking and believing you are loved. It could be a distraction. Even the powers of hell can't keep God's love away. Gulp. That's a big one. Whether we're high above the sky... As in enjoying, woohoo, this is great. Or in the deepest ocean when everything's in despair. When you're trying to hide from God, run from God, don't even want to believe he exists. The heck with him and the church and everything else. Even you can't separate yourself from his love. Impossible. Nothing in all of creation. Anything created. How much did he create? Nothing can separate you from the love of God, here it is, that is revealed in Christ Jesus. It's through Christ, it's made known. You're not separated from his love. Even if you're a non-believer, you are not separated from his love. You are fully loved by God. He loves everybody. But Jesus has to be the revealer of that to you. And then you have the opportunity to receive and believe. But you're not separated from his love. There's no such thing as separation. Except in your mind. 
And that can seem really real. But it isn't. Because we just finished reading. Does that make sense? Do you believe the Bible? So do I. All right. Today's message. Prayer. Praying through pain. Ooh, if I told you ahead of time, you'd be you know, inviting all your friends. He's going to talk about pain and praying through pain. Ooh, what an exciting topic. Wow, I'm so thrilled. What possibly could he say that's encouraging? I'm not sure yet. We'll find out. But I'm certain all of us have walked, are walking, or will walk through pain. Somehow. Emotional pain, physical pain, brutal pain, pain done to you by somebody, pain done to a friend. You're going to suffer pain from a death of a loved one, death of a friend, loss of a job, loss of expectations, losses of dreams, losses of hopes. All this stuff will bring pain. But I'm a believer. I'm supposed to be exempt from pain. Where does it say that? It's nowhere in the scripture. Don't listen to those joy boys who proclaim they believe in God and everything will be better. It's one of the biggest farm fertilizer lies that I've ever heard because it's put a lot of people into bondage because when they suffer pain or they say, I can't say it, la, 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 don't say you're in pain because, oh no, now you're speaking a lie. Wait a minute. I just broke my leg. Are you saying it's not broken? Well, really, it's not. Hello. To me, if they're going to make that terminology, and, and, and if you don't like what I'm saying, too bad. Because if you're part of that camp, I'm going to say this. If you're going to make a statement of that's not really broken, then you have the job of explaining the gap of why we don't understand that. It's those shock statements, and I'm guilty of them. The shock statements that say something to make somebody else feel like crap. Because I don't quite see your way, but now you're making me feel really crap because maybe I'm missing something. Am I not seeing something right? Am I not saying something right? Am I not praying something right? So the pain I'm walking through is my own fault? Is that what you're saying? Well, don't say it. Are words powerful? Yes, they are. That's a different message. I love to talk about that one. But be careful of the guilt and the lies you put onto people. Everybody walks through pain. You will and are or will be or have. Everybody can identify with this. Praying through pain does what? It allows me to be honest. Somebody just hurt me. I don't know how to forgive them. But the Bible says forgive, so you better do it. More guilt. I won't punch people in the face for that. I'm serious. So do you. I know it. You want to take those happy Christians who throw condescending terms at you. It's all in Jesus. It's all in Jesus. Oh, shut up. Are they right? Yes, but their attitude's wrong. They're not coming at it with love to you. If I'm walking through pain, I want somebody who's been there, who knows, and is able to stand beside me going, I know what you've been through. This sort of thing happened to me too. And walk with you, cry with you. Hold you up, understand. Go do some recreation together to get your mind off of the pain together because you've both been there. 
We don't avoid pain. We walk through it. Jesus never promised that you'd be exempt from suffering. He promised to walk through it with you. That is the promise. Because he can't separate himself from you. Remember? He promised, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Is he good on his promises? You betcha. That allows me to be honest. Take a look at this. Psalm 31. I think King David was one of the best examples of being honest and extremely transparent when praying. This is an old poetic writing expressing much frustration. I want to see if you can find your own frustration and reality in it. Let's read it. Not out loud together. I'll read it, but read it with me with your eyes. O Lord, I have come to you for protection. Don't let me be disgraced. Save me, for you do what is right. Turn your ear to listen to me. Rescue me quickly. Be my rock of protection. A fortress where I will be safe. You're my rock and my fortress. For the honor of your name, lead me out of this danger. Pull me from the trap my enemies set for me. For I will find protection in you alone. I entrust my spirit into your hand. That's serious surrender. Rescue me, Lord, for you are a faithful God. I hate those who worship worthless idols. I trust in the Lord. I will be glad and rejoice in your unfailing love. Oh, I like that. I will be glad and rejoice, what? In your unfailing love. For you have seen my troubles, and you care about the anguish of my soul. You have not handed me over to my enemies, but have set me in a safe place. Have mercy on me, O Lord, for I am in distress. Tears blur my eyes. My body and my soul are withering away. I'm dying from grief. My years are shortened by sadness. Sin has drained my strength. I'm wasting away from within. I'm scorned by all my enemies and despised by my neighbors. Even my friends are afraid to come near me. When they see me on the street, they run the other way. I'm ignored as if I were dead, as if I were a broken pot. I've heard the many rumors about me and I am surrounded by terror. My enemies conspire against me, plotting to take my life. But I am trusting you, O Lord, saying, you're my God. My future is in your hands. Rescue me from those who hunt me down relentlessly. Let your favor shine on your servant. In your unfailing love, rescue me. Don't let me be disgraced, O Lord, for I call out to you for help. Let the wicked be disgraced. Let them lie silent in the grave. Silence their lying lips, those proud and arrogant lips that accuse the godly. How great is the goodness you have stored up for those who fear you. You lavish it on those who come to you for protection, blessing them before the watching world. You hide them in the shelter of your presence. Safe from those who conspire against them. You shelter them in your presence. Far from accusing tongues. 
praise the Lord, for he has shown me the wonders of his unfailing love. He kept me safe when my city was under attack. In panic, I cried out, I am cut off from the Lord. Anybody here ever prayed that? (laughs) But you have heard my cry for mercy and answered my call for help. Love the Lord, all you godly ones. For the Lord protects those who are loyal to him, but he harshly punishes the arrogant. So be strong and courageous, all you who put your hope in the Lord. I think that's it for that one. Yep. Do you see the roller coaster of emotions here? Do you see the emotional truth and the true truth? Okay? He feels upset. He feels like his life is in danger, screaming for God to rescue him. He feels separated from God. But is it true? No. In the next sentence, the Holy Spirit reminds him, boom, okay, wait a minute. I do trust in you, but I got this going on. And it's back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. Can anybody relate to that? Yes. When we pray through our pain, it helps us be honest Instead of these prayers that go something like, O oh Lord, if God is, Father is in heaven and earth is, we beseech thee to take care of my troubles. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Well, that's nice. Isn't that nice? Oh, they prayed a nice prayer. How about from the gut, from your heart, from spirit to spirit? Mixing who you really are in Christ with the emotion of your day, being honest with the pain you're walking through, and realizing you get to surrender all of it. Are you okay to surrender it, or do you want to stay in control? Good chance, if you try to stay in control, more pain will come, or it draws out the healing process. That's what I found. Number two. Praying through pain allows me to identify with those who've gone before me. You're not alone. And in this church family, we need more mentors. Those who've gone through stuff and begin to reach out to others who are walking through stuff so they're not alone. But that requires time. It requires a commitment. It requires you to sit back and say, Father, is there anybody here that I need to connect with? Oh, wait a minute. Can you make me willing to free up my time for that? Because my life's really full right now. To identify with those who've gone before. Let's take a look at a few. In Exodus, Moses cries out, What shall I do with these people? They're almost ready to stone me. He's in trouble now. He's just brought them out of Israel. He's screwed up. He's got a big thing of water in front of him and an army coming down to take him out. What's he going to do? They're ready to kill him. How would you like to be a leader of that church? Yikes. A little later, Moses says, why have you afflicted your servant? More frustration. You would be shocked at the honest crying out to God from these prophets, these godly ones we look to as models. If you look a little deeper, they're just as real as you and I. They're just as transparent. Look for it. It's there. But Moses went through a roller coaster of all kinds of things. One of the biggest roller coasters I've seen in Scripture next to Jeremiah, who's even worse, the weeping prophet, or whining prophet. Joshua, 
Alas, Lord, why have you brought this people over the Jordan at all to deliver us into the hand of the Amorites, to destroy us? Listen, this kind of prayer happened right after one of the greatest victories they've ever seen. Jericho. They've just participated in this glorious march that all they did was use a Fitbit. They walked around the city. I wonder how many steps that was because that would be pretty cool and that would add up pretty fast. Especially on day seven. And they walked through around the city seven times. And they watched the walls crumble down. And they took victory over the whole city. I would be stoked and I'd be gloating. I'd be posting Facebook pictures. Look at that wall. You do it all, right? Next battle, he lost. He went from a super high to an incredible low. Joshua. And God revealed to him why they had failed. Sometimes our problems that we have faced or the consequences that we're dealing with, listen, folks, it's not necessarily God doing it to us. We do it to ourselves. Why is God doing this to me? Because you did 180 kilometers around a 90-degree turn and you missed. Whose fault's that? yours. You suffer the consequences, and he is with you and will not abandon you through it. Don't blame God for everything. You got to take responsibility. Judges, the book Samson talks about this. You have given this great deliverance by the hand of your servant, and now shall I die of thirst and fall into the hands of the uncircumcised? He prays twice. He gets one more chance. First of all, the womanizer totally gave in to fleshly desires and just, you know, told the girl the reason why he had all the strength. He was told not to. He was told not to. But she was really good. Oh, yeah. She battered her eyelashes. However she did it and all sorts of other things. So, it turns out in come the haircutters. Yep, gone. Strength is gone. He gets another chance later. He's in despair once he's had his eyes gouged out. How would you like that? Can you just imagine that for a minute? Just, ouch. Next, he's treading grain in a place. God's prophet. The one God was using to deliver Israel. And because he screwed up, because he made a mistake, he stuck blind. And he cries out one more time, God, give me strength to do it one more time. He does it. In 1 Kings, Elijah, this guy has seen so many awesome things. Elijah. A lot of amazing things. Miracles galore. So here we have, O Lord my God, have you also brought tragedy on the widow with whom I lodged by killing her son? First of all, he comes into a home and they got nothing. And so his presence there brings food and nourishment. God keeps that family alive. But, listen to this, the son fell sick and died. That's why he died, because he was sick. God didn't kill him. He was sick. There is sickness in this world, folks. It's not the way you were created, but in this world, people get sick. 
And there's a thing called an illegitimate presence that comes into people who are sick. Viruses that are not supposed to be there. Cancer. Do you want to hear a, a term that one of Steve McVeigh's friends used of his wife consumed with cancer? He said, that bastard. That bastard is killing her. The word bastard means illegitimate presence. He never called it cancer, even when she died. It's not supposed to be there. So he moves on. He says, what do I do? And you know what Elijah does? Takes the dead boy, carries him upstairs, and lays across him three times. However he did it. And breath came back. Life came back to that boy, and he gave the son back to the widow. She said, now I know you're a man of God. Because the food rations that came miraculously before didn't quite prove it. But this sure does. She didn't say that, but I was thinking it. 1 Kings 19, Elijah. Is it enough, Lord? Take my life, for I am no better than my father's. Here is Elijah doing the most wild pyrotechnics act ever, ever expressed in Scripture. He, he pours water over this altar, like douses it, just singes it, and then calls God and says, God, fire, be really good right now, because if you don't, I'm going to look really stupid. You know? And God brings down fire. The Baal prophets were all killed off for being false prophets. He won this incredible victory. And then it started to rain, and the water came to the land again. The nourishment of God came to the land, and what did Elijah do? Ran away and got a hungry tummy. Oh, Lord, I'm going to die now. What, how could you do this to me? God just provided the most incredible thing I'd ever want to see. That'd be pretty cool, wouldn't it? If fireworks go this way, those came that way. All right? It's pretty wild. However it happened, I don't know, it wasn't there. But then he whined, where are you, God? Where are you in my pain? Can you see how human he was? Can you see how human we are? We can have highs, we can have lows. How many times do we get disappointed with our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ or relatives or family members who are really good one day but they're really rotten the next day and they can't remember the previous day and we get mad at them for that? Don't get mad at them for that. It's their journey. Don't misjudge what they're walking through. They could be suffering from depression. You don't quite know it. You don't know all the stuff running through their heads. You don't know the anxiety that's there. You don't know what the stuff that went on the day before. You don't know that they need the encouragement the day before. You don't know the encouragement that's coming the next day. And you don't understand the journey that they're walking so they will be a help to somebody else. You don't know that. So just love them. Jonah. God tells him, go to Nineveh, warn them. He says, nope, I'm not. Takes off, apparently gets thrown overboard during a storm and a big fish eats him and he gets over on a, on a beach somewhere and uh, it's covered in seaweed and extra gunge, who knows? I'm sure it was pretty gross. And finally he goes, fine, I'm going to go. And then he goes over to Nineveh, guys, God's going to do something terrible, you know, he's going to destroy this place if you don't fix it up. Good. There, I told them, God, that's all I did. I did what you said. And they listened. And when they listened and repented, Jonah saw it. Do you know what Jonah did? Crap. 
that wasn't supposed to happen, Lord. You're supposed to wipe him out. Where was the mercy? The mercy was from God, not Jonah. But God was using Jonah and starting to show him his own heart condition at the time, what he believed. He whined. Brutal. Nehemiah, this is an awesome story. He gets word that his homeland, his home city is in ruins. The walls are crumbled and the doors of the city are destroyed by fire. And he cries out to God. Oh Lord, God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of unfailing love with those who love him and obey his commands. Listen to my prayer. Look down and see me praying night and day for your people Israel. I confess that we have sinned against you. Yes, even my own family and I have sinned. He looks back as a people to the city where he needs to go and help rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. What spurred on the prayer? He heard of pain. He heard of destruction. And that story caused his heart to respond. I think our culture is extremely callous today. We're not good at responding anymore. Some are. They hear a story and they respond. Today, seeing what I saw online, oh my goodness, my heart's screaming out for Pakistan, for those who died. And that's just one country. There's a whole ton more. That's just one spot. How many more places were this devastation going on? Syria, Africa, you name it. Lots of stuff. And what are you doing? Oh, change the channel. Quick, friends. Good. That's a, little, that's a little lighter. What's your response? What motivated him to pray was hearing of the destruction of his people. He identified with them. Even so to say, we have sinned. But in our culture, what we do, we say, they have sinned. It's on them. I got nothing to do with it. Come back to me when you're all cleaned up and ready and fixed all your problems. Then we'll have a relationship. That's what we do in our culture. That is not the way God created you. He created us for a relationship, to feel the pain of one another, to feel the emotions, to have an emotional connection. All of us have been created for that. We've been created for partnership. Never to do this alone. Number three, praying through pain allows me to see a greater purpose. Maybe there's something else going on that you don't know about. Let's see. Huh, Job, classic story. Job loses everything. I'm not going to get into the whole story because I don't have time. I'm looking at the clock. It's like, oh no. So he says this in Job 23. This is how he feels. His hand is heavy. It seemed that God was against him is what he felt like. God's hand's heavy on me. Do you ever feel like that? It's like, God, when's this going to let off? I can't handle this. Seriously, cut me a break. Then he says, oh, that I knew where I might find him. He was living in constant despair. Do you ever feel like that sometimes? Where you're in despair, you feel like God's nowhere, doesn't even exist. Because if he did, if he's that big, he'd clearly answer you, right? Verse four and five, he says that I would understand what he would say to me. It seemed like his circumstances didn't make any sense, and they didn't. He's not there. I can't perceive him. I can't see him. 
Do you feel like you're totally alone sometimes? Especially when the darkness of circumstances hits in? You're not alone. Welcome to the human experience. And here's this. In spite of his circumstances in verse 10, look at Job's response. But he knows the way I take. When he has tried me, I shall come forth as gold. I'm not sure he was such a great man of faith because our circumstances can express what we're feeling, not authentic faith. There's a difference. And here we see a man struggling. And in one of those snap moments, he recognizes God's power in it, while the rest of it's moaning and whining. Just like Psalm 31 there that we just read. There was a spot of, kill my enemies. Oh, but you're so good, God. Take them out. And back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. It's okay. You're allowed to be like that. Take a look at Paul, the apostle. The apostle, the one who, ooh, he wrote the New Testament, or at least many parts of it, and, and he's the great apostle, the spiritual one. Look what he says. Problems hit him. He says that our affliction which came to us in Asia, it came out of nowhere. He had no idea where it came from. What is this storm? Why are we suffering the way we are? I, I, am I not doing your, your will? Am I like teaching Sunday school every single day? And you give me this? Is this my payment? His problems were in excess. He was burdened excessively. Sometimes we say, we hear this line, God won't let you experience more than you can handle. You won't be burdened beyond what you can handle. Can I tell you, that's not in the Bible. Go look it up. It says, no temptation will seize you that is uncommon to man. It does not say anything about trouble and suffering. In fact, Paul said it was excessive. It was too much to handle. You will face trouble. It's too hard to handle. That's why he's put in an internal GPS into every single human directing you to Jesus. There is help. Paul seemed to have the kiss of death on him. He said, we had the sentence of death within ourselves. I'm going to die. I'm going to die. Right? Anybody do that? Yep. Paul would have welcomed death. We despaired even of life. <gasps> Can't say that in church. Because that's almost like saying suicide. <gasps> I bury a lot of suicides. A lot. In fact, that's why I get called. Because a lot of them are not connected with the church. Or certain churches won't deal with it. And in those families, I can with confidence say that nothing separates us from the love of God, not even death. Nothing. Those families need to hear that. His troubles, listen to this, served a divine purpose in order that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises from the dead. He had such confidence in God that God had him on a plan. It wasn't quite his time to die. At least that's what he could have thought. That he had enough faith that if they did kill us, maybe God will raise us anyway. He's power, powerful enough to do that. Oh, but we got to keep our ducks in a row. we got to make sure we reduce the, uh, the pain coming at us as best we can so that we function with the least amount of pain. 
What if pain is the very thing that will redirect you in the direction he wants you to go because nothing else is working? Your, your spidey senses are not catching any messages from the Holy Spirit saying, hey, head that direction. So there's a, he allows a pain to enter your life so that you move in the direction he's wanted you to move on all along. It's a redirect. And he's in charge of it. Lastly, Praying through pain allows me to identify with Jesus. Here's a man who's walked as you and I have walked and experienced much pain. Take a look in John 17. I call this the real Lord's Prayer, where he prays for his disciples that their faith will be strong, not to be free from bad circumstances, how many times do we pray for our, our family and individuals or loved ones or people walking through some, the pain and consequences of really stupid choices, okay, you know, we all know people like that, right? We pray for them, we say, deliver them. How about you pray for their faith instead? God's in charge of their deliverance. No problem there. He doesn't leave people anywhere long enough. I don't understand how the whole picture of suffering works. I really don't. But it's not simplistic. It's complicated. He prays for his disciples. Then Matthew 26, in the Garden of Gethsemane. We've got Easter coming up in a couple of weeks. We're going to deal with that story soon. He goes and brings his disciples. Said, hey, let's, let's go pray in the garden. I need this. And he's in absolute agony before his heavenly father. Hey, if there's any way this could be taken from me, great, I'm all ears. What? No plan B? Disciples, what? You're still sleeping? I need prayer. I need my friends. I need the fellowship of my creation. Come, pray with me. Goes and prays some more. What? Asleep again? Are you kidding me? Back three times it happened, even to the point where he was so stressed, he was beating sweats of blood. It was so intense. He was in pain. And what he did, he surrendered. He says, not my will, but yours. The master plan. And in Luke 23, hanging on the cross, oh my goodness, in his literal pain, we're talking nails and spikes driven through and the whips and, and the spiky stuff and all the spit from people spitting on you and the whipping and the... And the well, the jab killed him, but or he's dead when the jab came. But either way, all that stuff and the, and the shredding of who he was in pain, what does he cry out? He doesn't say, spare me! He says, forgive them. That is the heart of your Savior. That from pain, you forgive. Not run. Not despair. Not worry about the outcome. You forgive. You have the same nature as Jesus Christ. You and Jesus are one. You're in union with Christ. You share the same nature. Therefore, you have the same heart as Christ. To love unconditionally. Now, practicing that's really hard. Just so you know. But you have the same heart as forgiveness as well, which is also really hard to do, okay? Because usually we have misunderstandings of what forgiveness is. But you have the heart of Christ. 
You have the mind of Christ, it tells us in Romans. You lack nothing. And in pain, he can show you. You don't have to try and get away from it, thinking God's punishing you. He is with you. There's nothing you can do to change that. Now let him speak to your soul. Let him speak to the depth of your soul. How will you pray? Can you pray, Father, forgive them? (laughs) If you do, that's the prayer of Christ in you. If you pray, payback. (laughs) Um, No, that's not the spirit of Christ. That's flesh. That's not the real you. Just so you know. Which one is it? Today, prayer is important. We've been called to pray. But sometimes it's really hard to pray when we're walking through pain. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, this morning, please speak to our souls. Reveal to us not the reason for the suffering we're walking through, because we may not need to know that, but show us you're there. That we're not alone. Reveal your presence in us. And if the busyness and the pain and all the trouble is causing our distraction to keep our eyes off of you, please draw our eyes on you. Open my eyes to see you are in me. And teach me how to live out of your indwelling presence. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Ephesians 3.20. This is for your soul. Now, all glory to God, who is able, through his mighty power at work, where? Within you. It's already in you. And it's at work in you to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think of. You haven't even thought of it yet. You have no clue the journey you're on of where the outcome is or for the loved ones you're concerned about. Surrender them into the care of your Heavenly Father who is at work in them. Relax. He doesn't need your help. In the message, it says, God can do anything, you know, far more than you could ever imagine or guess or request in your wildest dreams. He does it not by pushing us around, but by working where? Within us. His spirit deeply, and I love this, gently within us. In the Mirror Bible, it says this, we celebrate him who supercharges us powerfully from where? Within. Our biggest request or most amazing dream cannot match the extravagant proportion of his thoughts towards us. He loves you. Nothing nothing can separate you from his love. Lastly, in the book The Shack by William Paul Young, if you don't know the story, you need to read it. It's a must read. But he says this to Mac, Jesus speaking to Mac. He says, Mac, just because... I work incredible good out of unspeakable tragedies. Doesn't mean I orchestrate the tragedies. 
Don't ever assume that my using something means that I caused it or that I need it to accomplish my purposes. That will only lead you to false notions about me. Grace doesn't depend on suffering to exist, but where there is suffering, you will find grace in many facets and colors. Oh, man, I can almost get Pentecostal here. Thank you, folks.